So this coming week is Halloween. And so I thought in the spirit of Halloween, I would tell a story. Um, and there are different versions of this story. Um, but this one comes from um, a book called Upside Down Zen. And it's um, a Chinese story. It's a Chinese folktale. So I'm just going to read and then um, comment. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful, beautiful girl named Chen. She lived beside one of the great rivers of ancient China with her father, Ken. Her sister died young, and her father, Qian, cherished her even more after that. As a young girl, Chen was inseparable from her cousin, Chao, a boy slightly older than her playmate, gradually a soulmate. One day, watching Chen and Chao together, her father said in play, you're such a well-matched couple. When you grow up, we should marry you to each other, for you seem to belong together. And so they childishly thought of themselves as engaged, and in the course of time, they found themselves in love with each other. But when Chen's finally reached marri marriageable age, an important official approached her father for her as a wife. And Qian, who had forgotten his slightly spoken words, his lightly spoken words, gladly consented. Chao was devastated and vowed to once to go and live in a distant province, far from the heartbreak of losing Qian. And Chen was likewise lost in grief, for she was a dutiful and loving daughter. But on the night that Chao was pushing off his boat from the river, heading towards forgetfulness, he startled. He was startled to hear Chen's voice as she came running down the river path, saying, Wait, it's me. I can't bear to lose you. Let me run away with you. Shaking with joy and fear, the two traveled up the river to a remote province, far enough away from the wrath of Qian to be forgotten for a time, and were married. They lived there in all the usual ways of considerable happiness, and in the course of time had two children together. Life grew thick and busy, but as the seventh year approached, Qian grew sad and sorrowful. She came and told Chao that she had to go back and ask forgiveness and to honor her father before she grew old and died, that she could not remain forever as an outcast from her home. Chao was full of anxiety about this, but he assented to her wish, and they planned to make the difficult journey together as soon as possible. And so they set out to travel back down the river, when they arrived back in her father's province, as was the custom in old China, Chao went first to see her father and received the brunt of his anger, while Qian remained in the boat. And so he was astonished when Qian received him 
with obvious pleasure, saying, Where have you been all these years? I've missed you. Chow bowed his head and asked forgiveness, reassuring him that his daughter Chen was well and had been very happy as his wife, and that she was now the mother of two fine children. But what Ken said in reply nearly stopped his heart. Which Chen is that? asked Ken. For more than six years, ever since you departed so suddenly for a distant place, Chen has been ill in bed, hardly moving and unable to speak. Come with me and see for yourself. Fearfully, Chao went with him and saw that indeed Chen was lying in her old room, barely conscious, but seeming to register his presence as he came into the room. This is very strange, he told Ken, but stranger still is what I have to show you. Please come with me. Together they walked out of the house and down the river path towards the boat where Chien had been waiting. But Chien had grown tired of waiting in the boat and she was walking towards them. And behind them, coming from the other direction, the other Chien had arisen from bed and was also walking along the river path. The two men stepped back and watched in astonishment as the two Chiens met on the path and took each other in. And then each Chien stepped forward into the arms of the other to embrace her completely, becoming in that single moment Chien. Astonishing more than ever. Chien made a deep bow to her father. If indeed you are my daughter, he said, lost in wonder, I have nothing but love for you. And Chien turned to Chow. I couldn't bear to lose you, she told him, and I was happy with you, except for my deep shame. But all the time, I did not know I was sick at home in my father's house, devastated by a sorrow beyond dreams. I myself am not sure which was the real Chien, the other as if dead, at home in my father's house, or the one who had lived with you, wife and mother to your children. Kind of ghost story in a way. It's, this is actually a part of a koan that we work on. Case number 35 of the Mumon Khan says, Wutsu said, Wutsu, by the way, is a teacher. His Japanese name is Goso. So Wutsu said, Chen and her soul are separated. Which is the real Chen? And that's the koan. That's it. Which is the real Chen? <clears throat> the commentary. If you're enlightened concerning what real things are, you'll know that we pass from one husk to another like travelers in a night lodging house. But if you're not enlightened, don't rush about wildly. Suddenly, earth, water, fire, and air are separated, and like a crab with its seven arms and eight legs in boiling water, you struggle. Don't say I didn't warn you. And then the verse. The moon among the clouds is ever the same, different from each other, the mountain and the valley. How wonderful, how blessed, 
is this one or is this two? So that's Mumon, Mumon's verse and commentary on the case. So let's explore this case a little bit together. Sure. The verse, the moon among the clouds is ever the same. Different from each other are the mountain and the valley. How wonderful, how blessed. Is this one? Is this two? Okay. So on one level, this is just an ordinary folktale, a ghost story. Right? And I think it can be quite haunting. But I think it's haunting because we can relate to it in our own lives. As a koan, it's considered one of the most difficult koans. It may be difficult for the same reason that it's so haunting, because it is so relevant to us. So a question came up for me is, how do you see yourself in this story? The story is about love, it's about loyalty, growing up, healing. I think most of us can feel the pain that Qian faces in this story, that strong pull towards living an authentic life of love and freedom. And on the other hand, that strong pull towards family, familiarity, loyalty, duty. And from a psychological viewpoint, um, the story of Chen is quite understandable, straightforward. It points to how torn we can be in our needs and wants and desires, feelings, and in our life path. It points to the process that each of us goes through as we get older. As we get older, our lives narrow in a, in a sense. We're forced to leave possibilities behind. We leave behind a part of ourselves that may have preferred like another path, another direction. At times we feel conflicted, two competing forces inside of us. Two competing forces that each want a voice, not wanting to face conflict straight on. And this process of loss, we often tear, we often tear ourselves up inside. And in that process of tearing ourselves up in order to stave off that internal conflict and pain, we disown a part of ourselves. And in the case of Qian, we see the two sides of her. On the one side, she attempts to run away, run away from the conflict and leap free from that tug of what in that culture at that time was a pretty established family loyalty, cultural value of loyalty. 
And I think as modern Westerners, it's easy for us to side with the Chen who chose true love. Uh, but a number of years ago, I met, when I lived in Asheville, I met a Indian man who was getting ready to get married. And he was the owner of an Indian restaurant. Um, and he was telling me how he had met his uh, arranged bride. And later on, I met her after they had been married. And, it, and it, to be honest, they were incredibly happy. They had never met before the marriage. I mean, just briefly. But I wonder if arranged marriages in some way can be just as happy. I think the research actually shows that there's not much difference in terms of happiness. Um, while, you know, arranged marriages aren't a part of our culture, I imagine <laughs> that people that are single that are trying to find somebody uh, might long for that simplicity of arranged relationships after going through all the dating apps and, right, trying to meet people in bars and however other places we try to find somebody. I can, I can imagine that relief. Oh, I can just, you know, someone's chosen for me. But nonetheless, Chen and her, um, and Chao, her lover, they can't face that prospect of staying and disappointing and defying her her dad. Or they can't imagine staying and Chow seeing Chen marry somebody else. And so then there's the other Chen, the one we meet at the end of the story, who also couldn't face the conflict. Who couldn't disappoint her family? Sick in bed, she languished. How many of, ex of uh, how many of us have experienced this? So conflicted, so torn by something that it's made us sick. So torn that we become perhaps people pleasers afraid of conflict, afraid to disappoint somebody, so torn, perhaps we go to the opposite extreme of shutting people out. And in that process, shutting out a part of ourselves, so torn that we forget what we even wanted in the first place. Sometimes, when this happens long ago, uh, we become numb, depressed, dependent, or despondent. <clears throat> like Chen, we don't often recognize how torn we've become. And in the process, in order to make it more palpable, palpable, we 
become so used to ignoring parts of ourselves that we don't even know anymore. We split off, split off from parts of ourselves. I once worked with a young woman in therapy who became so used to putting others before herself to avoid conflict that when she began to wake up to this way that she was relating and decided to give it up, what she realized was she didn't even know what she liked anymore because she had all this space now where she wasn't people-pleasing, but she didn't even know what she wanted. Always putting her kids first, always putting her boyfriends first, always putting her family first. She just was left with, I don't even know who I am. So Zen practice is about addressing this split-off part of ourselves. It does it in a number of ways. It's um, not uncommon for people who come to retreat like this, for Sashin, especially longer Sashins, to have old wounds or old feelings uh, begin to emerge Sometimes they can bubble up out of the silence of sitting because when the uppermost layers of the mind begin to quiet, all those defensive, surface-oriented ways of thinking stop. And these deeper, warded-off places inside of ourselves begin to show themselves. And so it's not uncommon for people to cry in Sashin or have very strong feelings come up in the midst of their practice. <clears throat> but even more than that, a Zen takes on this very notion of duality. The ways that, not only that we've disowned a part of ourselves, but the ways that we buy into dualistic thinking all the time, this dualistic framework. Right or wrong, good or bad, compliance or defiance. And so our Zen practice is about healing that, looking at it. But in order to heal, we not only need to recognize how we do that, but we have to care enough to do something about it. Usually that takes squarely facing the pain that some of these old ways of relating have caused us. Just like Chen and Chao for, what, six or seven years, they lived and she dealt with it. She buried it. She sustained that split-off life. Living off on their own, they had kids, they were content to some degree. But that sinking feeling began to creep in as she got older. Something was off. She needed to make something different happen. And I think all of us have thresholds of pain certain amount of tolerance that we put up with things. For Chen, it was 
seven years putting up with it. You know, in other words, ignoring it. It's not that she wasn't happy, but that happiness was papering over this other unresolved part of herself. And so this is part of what Zen practice is really about, is addressing suffering in our own life. That single-minded attention and deep inquiry into our suffering. But we really have to want to do something about it. Some people uh, believe that Zen is like a metaphysical tradition, like it's a philosophy. It sounds so interesting, you know, all the sayings and doings of the masters. But it's not philosophy. It's really a heart-centered tradition. Sure, it's hard to practice, but it's still, it's only through this disciplined attention that we really can open up to these deeper parts of ourselves. So what seems from the outside to be a hard tradition is actually the most kind, heart-centered tradition. So going back to the koan itself, Master Goso, his Japanese name, he says, Chen and her soul are separated. Which one is the real Chen? And so some of us, when we hear stories like this, we might think, we might start to speculate about souls or spirits, especially around Halloween. But there is no soul or no fixed self in Buddhism. And this is one of the three existences of Buddhism. Impermanence, dukkha, and anicca, or no self. No fixed self. So, rather than get caught up in philosophical speculation about the nature of a soul or a self, um, if we came back to our practice in order to work on this koan, we really have to feel that pain that Chen must have felt. Zen practice is, after all, about non-separation. No gaps. It's not me and Chen. And so to enter the heart of this koan, to really understand it, we have to be able to drop our self-orientation and become Chen. So which is the real Chen? The one lying at home in bed, sick? Or the one who went off with her husband? Which one? If we get drawn into concepts of this one or that one, we've missed the mark. That's exactly what each koan is trying to elicit, that mind of duality. These koans try to trap us. Because, and the hook is so easy to take, the bait is so easy to take. That's what the mind does. It just, this one or that one? Which one is it? And yet, we can't just ignore the question. So saying something like, well, I'm not going to answer the question. That, 
that's not really bringing to life or resolving the koan. What the koan is presenting is it is asking us to see beyond our dualistic world, to really see Qian for ourselves. In, and in each koan, the way through it is to become it, through and through. In this case, we don't necessarily have much of a stretch to become Qian. Because again, her story is our story. If we all can connect with that time or those times where we've been split. So how did you heal that? How do you heal that? How do you manifest To the two chens coming back together. That's the work of koans. When you're working on a koan, there's you and there's the koan. And the idea is to bring them back, bring them together by losing yourself in the koan itself. Or even with the breath, to lose yourself in the breath so there's not a person breathing but there's just breath. How could there be any conflict or split when there's just this? Okay. So the verse. He says, if you're enlightened concerning what real things are, you'll know that we pass from one husk to another like travelers in a night's lodging house. But if you're not enlightened, don't rush about wildly. Suddenly, earth, water, fire, and air are separated, and like a crab with its seven arms and eight legs and boiling water, you struggle. Don't say I didn't warn you. I just love Muman's energy in his poems and verses. So this idea of going from one husk to another, one existence to another, how do you understand that? Last week, I think it was, we touched on the five skandhas, which are these five processes, or heaps as the Buddha called them. Skandhas means heap or bundle, five processes that make up what it is to be a human being. But those skandhas, if we look at our experience carefully, we'll see that those are always shifting, that those are always going back and forth. That these husks of attention, awareness, thought, feeling, and forms, they're always shifting. moving from one husk to another. So what is your true self? Which is the one that is really you? Thoughts, jobs, identities, histories, feelings? When Master Goso asked which is the real Chen, he's asking... Really, what is the real you? 
this ghost story often becomes the ghost of the self. Just like a ghost, the self, if we look carefully enough, can't be grasped. It's like trying to grab water with our hands. There's nothing there. Mulan's verse. The moon among the clouds is ever the same, different from each other, the mountain and the valley. How wonderful, how blessed. Is this one, is this two? This moon among the clouds is ever the same. Of course, the moon in Zen is the moon of enlightenment, always present in the sky, even when there's clouds. The clouds shift. The mind states of our day-to-day existence shift moment to moment. But the moon is always present, always aware. And then he says, the second line, different from each other, the mountain and the valley. So he's acknowledging this other side. While the moon is always present, always there, it's also important to realize that we don't ignore differences. We don't ignore change. We don't uh, ignore the individual expressions of this true mind. How wonderful, how blessed. And then he ends. Is this one or is this two? Is this one world or two worlds? Is this one chin or two chins? 